Uh, This evening's reading is taken from Revelation chapter 4, starting at verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door, standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and was covered with eyes all round, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is God's word. Good evening. My name is Phil. I'm the associate minister here, and it's lovely to have the privilege of uh, taking us through uh, the middle chapters of Revelation. Uh, people are telling me you often, they often feel like they've been sold short. You're told we're doing a series on Revelation and it's just the letters and then ignore the weird stuff. But oh no, oh no, <laughs> we're going for it, we're going for it. Uh, let's pray as we do so. Our Father God, we pray that you would help us to see what is real. Give us the eyes of faith. Not that we would be fools, but that we would see what is really solid what is truly eternal, where real power lies. Help us, we pray, as we look through John's eyes to see the reality about you, that we might be encouraged and strengthened to stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, why on earth are we studying Revelation? There's an awful lot of other things we could be studying. Uh, There's lots of books in the Bible And it's full of just weird stuff, strange, disturbing images, numbers, symbols, beasts. As the old maps had it, here be dragons, quite literally, actually, when you get to chapter 12, and there is a great big dragon, but we'll get there. The reason that we're studying Revelation is that the message of this final book of the Bible is a message that you and I really need to hear today, if we are going to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Because you see, the central message of Revelation is not about the identity of the beast uh, or the date of the rapture. You're not going to hear any of those things, really. The central message is, who is in charge of history? Who's in charge, ultimately, of this world, of our lives, 
our country, this planet. And you will only put your trust in Jesus, or if you're already a Christian, you'll only stay faithful to Jesus when your faith is mocked and belittled and and misunderstood, as sometimes it is for all of us. You'll only do those things, and you'll only stand firm when the pull of temptation becomes really strong. You'll only do those things if ultimately you are convinced Jesus is going to win. His reward will be worth it. And just as importantly, he is in control of what's happening right now. And that's the message of Revelation. In summary, it's in spite of what you see down here, the God of the Bible is Lord over all. That's what Revelation will basically teach us. In spite of what you see down here, the God of the Bible is Lord over all. It's a wonderful message that we're going to see. And it's something we desperately need to know in a world that at the moment feels at times as if it's spiraling into chaos and conflict and division and darkness. But the God of the Bible is Lord over all. You've got some uh, points there uh, just to take us through this uh, passage. If you've uh, got your Bible, turn to the, the last book and the fourth chapter. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, John has just been given the last of Jesus' messages to the seven churches. Uh, God's word has come down from heaven to the churches. And now, John is invited to go up into heaven to see uh, what must take place after this. That's not a phrase about the dim distant future. It comes from Daniel 2.28 and it's basically what's going to happen as soon as this message, this vision, this prophecy is over. So not the dim distant future but what will soon take place. And If you're familiar with the matrix, this is the red pill, blue pill moment. This is the fabric of reality is being peeled back. And he is being invited to, it's a classic movie, watch it tonight. Uh, The fabric of reality is being peeled back. And John is being invited to step in and see what God can see. He's being told, come and see the perspective of heaven. Come and see the ultimate reality. Come and see what is behind the scenes of all human history. What is behind what can be seen. That's what John is going to see. Now, if you were living in Berlin in the early days of the Second World War, you would, not, you would not think anything other than that Nazi victory was inevitable. It just, I mean, you walk around and there are the massive buildings, the incredible, stunning architecture, the solid stone of the Thousand-Year Reich. You attend the Nuremberg rallies and see the sea of people chanting for Hitler. And as the, as the military might of the Reich comes past, the, the most technologically advanced tanks and aeroplanes, and as the, the reports come in of the Blitzkrieg sweeping across Europe, you'd think there is just no way anything or anyone can stand in the way of Nazi victory. But then going home in the evening, perhaps you're fiddling with your radio, and back then they're not self-tuning, it's not DAB, you sort of twiddle with the knobs, and, and you hear a funny voice. And you might just happen upon the BBC German service broadcasts. 
sent from Britain under um, the, the directorship of Hugh Carlton Green, this magnificently British-looking chap, uh, who spoke impeccable German. And they broadcast to Germany to say, what you're hearing from Joseph Goebbels, what you're seeing on the ground is not what is happening in the world. It was an invitation to step into a different reality, an invitation to hear truth from outside. And the question was, would you listen? In the end, millions and millions of Germans did as they realized what we see is not quite the full story here. And that's what's going on in Revelation. John is being invited to hear a perspective he cannot see as he walks around the world at the time. Now, as he writes uh, in around AD 90, Rome has been the dominant military imperial power for over 150 years, and she will rule the known world for another 300 years. And Rome is pervasive. Her empire blankets the known world. Rome is powerful. Her armies have been undefeated for literally generations, and Rome is permanent. The massive buildings, the roads, the culture... To talk of the end of the Roman Empire in AD 90 is, is like saying there's a time coming when uh, no one will speak English. It'll be a dead language like Latin. Or when there's no internet. Or when Brexit's not even in the news. I mean, it's just a sort of unthinkable, wild future. Can this be? And Rome is the complete opposite of what Christianity was. If you remember, we, we thought about this when we, we looked at Revelation 1. Rome is just the opposite of Christianity. Christianity uh, is tiny. It's local. It's barely 50 years old. It's fragile. They have no buildings. They have no army. No impressive people. No celebrities. No rulers. No kings. There weren't even very many of them. So to stand against Rome... To follow Jesus and not bow to, to Caesar. It, I mean, forget being on the wrong side of history. It feels like being on the wrong side of reality. Just how can you? But John is being invited to see a radically different perspective. And in Revelation 4, he learns that behind what is seen, God rules in almighty triumphant splendor. Rome is not as powerful or as eternal as it seems, and God's people are not as pathetic or as fragile as they appear. In spite of how things appear, the God of the Bible is Lord over all. And that's a message that the tempted and oppressed churches that we were learning about in chapters two to three in the letters, they desperately needed to know it, and so do we. Because if we don't see clearly that the God of the Bible is the Lord who rules over our lives and our culture, then we'll be tempted to give up our faith or intimidated into not putting our trust in Jesus. Or more likely, actually, for most of us, we'll just live shriveled little Christian lives, not confident enough in God's present power or ultimate victory to take any great risks for him, because who knows? Not confident enough to live differently. Not confident enough to withstand the tug of temptation. Not confident enough to, to share the gospel in the face of mockery and indifference from colleagues. And so we'll settle for, for mediocrity, for, for small, marginalized, pale little lives that blend in with the world around. We'll never have the courage to, to do what we have been encouraged to do for the last four weeks and make the most of our lives and live for Jesus. Unless we're sure this Jesus 
He's got us. He's got our back and he's got our future. We'll never do that. But as John steps behind what can be seen, he's going to see and hear two things that breathe confidence and courage into us. Two things that that ought to enable us to live out what we were called to do in the last four weeks and to make the most of our lives for God in this world. So the first thing he sees is the throne of God Almighty. So Revelation 4 verse 2, don't worry, we will speed up. Revelation 4 verse 2, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The very first thing he sees is a throne. Twelve times the word throne appears in chapter 4. The central message of this chapter is the God of the Bible sits on a throne and he rules over all. Throne, throne, throne. God rules. Get the message, he's saying. He is in charge. Now, if this world is like a movie, John's not just being invited to to step behind the scenes and, and see what's going on. He's being shown the first thing you need to see as you step behind the scenes is the director's chair. There is somebody in charge. The, the people, the actors going about doing their things in the movie, they are not in charge. It is the director who decides what will happen. It is the director whose vision will be enacted. It's the director who, who decides. Now, the imagery that follows as he describes the heavenly throne, let's be honest, it's rather baffling. If you're an artist, try and paint it and see how well you get on. But quite how much of this description is literal and how much metaphorical, 53.4%. I have no idea. Um, But the reality that it conveys is obvious. It's saying God rules in splendor, in majesty, in might. His rule is awesome. And it, and it stretches over all creation and it stretches for all time. Uh, so why does he use images rather than just give us a precise description? Well, we can't be sure, but it may be that, frankly, we just can't, we can't understand what's going on fully. I mean, try and imagine uh, describing how a jumbo jet flies to a three-year-old. I've tried to do it recently and I haven't got very far, I've got to be honest. It's It's quite difficult. Or try and explain what the internet is to somebody from a Stone Age tribe. John's doing something similar for us as he describes heavenly realities. Now, as we go through, it's absolutely chocker full of Old Testament allusions. There's, what, 404 verses in Revelation and around 500 Old Testament allusions. It is just soaked in Old Testament imagery that is coming to to fulfillment in the heavenly throne room. So, verse 3. And the one who sat there on the throne had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. So precious stones, they just speak of of beauty and worth. I don't think it means that literally God is is like a a ruby. It's It's purity, it's precious, it's beautiful. The rainbow... Why a rainbow? Well, the rainbow was God's great sign in Genesis 9. His great sign to humanity after he judged the world in the flood that he would never again destroy the world with watery chaos. It was the emblem of his mercy that his war bow had been hung up, that God would have mercy upon us. And so right around the throne of God's judgment is the emblem of God's mercy. It's a wonderful thing for John to show us right at the start. 
Verse four, told you we'd speed up. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Probably the 24 elders are 24 angelic representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, representing all God's people through all of history, probably. Now, if you've got a very, very good memory, you might remember that in the letters to the churches in chapters two and three, God's people were promised, if you remain faithful in each letter, you'll receive something. And in different letters, it was a crown of glory, uh, or in other ones, a white robe of righteousness, and in other ones, the right to rule with God. And then look down at verse four. Here are the elders, robed in white, crowns on their head, thrones to rule from. This is the destiny of all who trust in God. It's already happening in heaven, and one day we'll join them. Verses five to six, now we see the throne itself. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. They are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a a, a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the throne, I think what we see is we see power, presence and peace. Firstly, there's lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. It's like peering into an erupting volcano or, or watching a mighty electrical storm coming pulsating across the sky. And in Exodus 19, verses 16 to 18, as God's presence descended on Mount Sinai, as the Israelites gathered there, the mountain was bathed in lightning and it trembled with thunder. So his point is, look, God's throne is crackling, pulsating, bursting with divine power. God's presence is there and it is, he is not not some fusty, old, impotent king. He is bursting with power. It's a volcanic image. Uh, Secondly, the seven lamps representing the seven spirits of God. Well, seven represents the world or completion in Revelation. And so I think the point is, God's spirit is everywhere. His power is not distant, far off in heaven, some throne that has no bearing on our day-to-day life. God's power is present out among the world, everywhere. This rule matters now. Now, third, there's a sea of glass. Now, in the Old Testament, the sea is chaos. Um, And so one of the the images that you get later on in Revelation is there's no sea in the new creation, which always depresses sailors. But it's it's pictorial imagery. Here there is a sea, so sailors, be happy. Um, But you see, the the flood was decreation. The flood was chaos, watery chaos that was terrifying for the Israelites. And here... The sea has been tamed. At God's feet, the sea is so calm, it's like glass, as clear as crystal. God's rule will bring peace to the most terrifying chaotic powers we can think of. Diseases, revolutions, genocidal dictators, raging wars, all of it will be brought to glassy peace by the God who rules. And then we come to the second half of verse six to to verse eight. 
In the center, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each one of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all round, even under its wings. It sounds like something my four-year-old would draw after a visit to London Zoo. I mean, it's just, what is going on? I think the, the four living creatures, whether they're literal creatures or not, they represent all life. It's a way of saying the whole created order obeys and serves God. That's what it's there for. And that's part of the, the point. To, to, to fully understand it, though, I think you need to, to visit the British Museum. It's a very good idea. It's free for a start. And secondly, we are going to have to give it all back eventually. So visit it now while you can, be my advice. And if you go there, you'll see um, these amazing things. These are Shalmaneser's gates. These vast, vast, um, are they Assyrian um, relics? And they've got the body of a lion, the head and face of a man, and then the wings of an eagle. And the point is that for the Assyrians, they symbolized what they wanted to say about their rule that it was mighty and awesome like an eagle uh, and like a lion and ruled by a man. And even today, I mean, we we do it with with great nations today. And China is depicted as a dragon. Russia as a bear. America is an eagle. Wales is a leek. It's, (laughs) okay, okay, cheap shot, cheap shot. Um, But here... Here, you have four creatures of terrifying appearance and great power. And, you know, the aim is, I mean, these are, these are just wild, awesome, mighty creatures. And they serve, they submit to, they adore, they surround the throne of Almighty God. See, if the message of chapters 2 to 3 was, God rules his churches... He is present and involved and cares what goes on in the churches. The message of chapter four is God rules his cosmos. He is present, he cares, and he's involved in what's happening. Everything is under his rule. And now in the second part of the vision, we see how the living um, beings in heaven respond to the God who rules over all. Behind what is seen in earth, in heaven, we hear the praise of him who rules for all times over all things. There are two songs. Uh, Firstly, God is praised because his rule extends for all time. And secondly, because his rule covers all creation. So the second half of verse 8. Day and night, they, that's the living creatures, never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. As Ben explained, to be holy is to be other, different, pure, unlike sinful humans. To be holy, holy is the Hebrew way of saying, wow, this is an extraordinarily holy person. Only God is ever holy, holy, holy. And one thing that makes him holy, 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 unlike us, is that he was and he is and he is to come. He is the God of all time, from all time, and for all time. It's the big point of the first song, I think, because it's then picked up in verses 9 to 10. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. That's the stress. Three times we're told the Lord, the God of the Bible, who sits on the throne of heaven, was and is and is to come. He lives forever and ever and ever. 
There has never been a second of human history when God has not been seated on his throne in heaven. There has never been a moment in history that he has not been the one working out his good sovereign purposes through human history. And there never will come a day when he will be deposed or die or abdicate. I'm going to celebrate the 68th year of Queen Elizabeth's reign quite soon. But she will, she will die at some point. I mean, I know there are people who would like to cryogenically freeze her because they can't imagine life without her, but she will, she will die. And actually, there's, there is a bit of uncertainty about, gosh, she's been a, a, a constant for this country. It'll be a, quite an unsettling thing to, to not have her around. If you miss her, you just watch the crown. It's, you know, um, but actually, it'll be quite unsettling. But that fear, that uncertainty is something that the child of God does not need to know because our God will live forever. And he is too mighty for any to depose his rule. The living creatures, um, as we've seen, they're not the only um, ones in heaven. They're not the only voices either. So the 24 elders we read, whenever the living creatures give praise, they lay their crowns before the throne, verse 10, and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. The living creatures stress that God is eternal, ruling forever. The 24 elders praise him for, for the breadth of his rule, that it extends over all. You know, you search the vast outer reaches of space. You will not find one atom that is not ruled by God, that does not do exactly what he wants. Nor is there a single living sentient creature in all the cosmos, in any realm, who is not submitting to the Lord ultimately. Even Satan is on a leash. Even those who hate God cannot escape his sovereign rule. God is sovereignly ruling everything right now, even the weather is under his hands. Have you ever um, had that experience of just not being able to help yourself but praise, clap, cheer? I, was, uh, I had the misfortune of being um, an England sports fan growing up as a child in the, in the 80s. And we tended to swing England sports teams in that era between uh, abject failures with the the occasional bright moments when we were plucky losers. And that was basically the, that was what you lived in. It was abject failure or plucky loser. Our heroes were Eddie the Eagle Edwards, who came last in the ski jump at the 88 Olympics. You know, he was a bright spot for us in those days. And so I will never forget the day when uh, the unthinkable happened. And on Australia's home turf in 2003, I watched an England team win something that mattered the 2003 Rugby World Cup. It was an amazing thing. And by the end of the game, my hands were sore from hitting the table and I had no voice, just no voice at all from cheering. No one said, you must cheer, you must thump the table. You just, I couldn't help it. If you'd lived through what I'd lived through as an England fan for that long, you just couldn't, you just had to praise. Or if, uh, if sports isn't your thing, have you ever had the experience of, uh, of going skiing, if you've been lucky to do that, and you emerge through the, the clouds and see the Alps 
dusted with a billion diamonds as, as the sun sparkles on the snowy peaks. With that experience, and you just, you just have to say, wow, just wow, Instagram. Uh, but it's just, just wow. The, that times a gazillion is what's going on here. They just cannot help themselves. Do you see that it, it happens all the time? You know, if, if the world that we find so stunningly beautiful is, is the thumbprint of God who's created it, imagine what it's like to see him for real as these creatures in heaven do. No wonder they, they cannot help but praise. And one day you and I will just explode in spontaneous praise. And until that day, we have the words of John to encourage us, to help us glimpse, imagine what's going to happen. Okay, what do we do with this? Um, it's a wonderful picture of heaven. What does it actually mean for us today? Two things as we close. Listen to his words, trust his power. Our world is not a fiction. Don't mishear what John is saying. This world is not an illusion, but neither is it the full picture. Only God, who sits in throne, sees everything. Only God knows how the story will really end. And so we need to listen to God if we want to know the full picture and hear the whole truth. Only he can give us that. And I wonder, I just wonder, I know this is true for myself sometimes, I wonder if some of us are weak and fearful at times as Christians because our eyes, our ears, and our hearts are just full of this world. Our thinking is shaped by what this world says is powerful, what this world says is good, what this world says is the direction history is going in. And we're just marinated in the voices and the opinions of our culture. And so we end up thinking, oh, our culture's moral stances are unchallengeable because that's just all we see and hear in our daily conversations, the things we read, the things we watch. And it may be that we're just not spending enough time listening to God's voice, reminding ourselves of heaven's perspective, tuning in to the one who looks beyond what we can see and the one who rules over what intimidates us. I know we all think rules are for Pharisees, but look, it is just sensible, just sensible to read your Bible every day. It's sensible to eat every day. It's sensible to breathe every day. It's sensible to feed on God's word every day. It is the only place you can tune into God's truth. God alone has the words of true wisdom and eternal life. Find a way, find a way to feed on them, to cling to them daily. Uh, talk to others, talk to others. How do you manage to do, do that? How can, I, how can I tune into God a little bit more than I ever seem to manage to? How can I make... How can I make resolutions to do that stick? Talk to others. There are, lots of, there are lots of resources. And one of the best ones is just encouraging friends, keeping us going. So listen to his words. And as we do so, learn to trust his power. As we listen to his voice, what will happen is we will be strengthened to trust his power. You know, the truth is, we're a healthy crowd tonight. Even for a, a wet Sunday evening, it's quite a healthy crowd. And you look, you look around and you can feel quite good for being a Christian. But tomorrow... We get up from our own beds and we go out into our own places of work and study and many, perhaps even most of us, will be the only Christian 
in our team, in our class. And it becomes very easy to be cowed into silence and moral conformity, not speaking about our faith and not living as God requires because we just feel a bit intimidated. I read on the, uh, there's a, a very good um, group called Open Doors who look after persecuted Christians around the world. And I was reading about a guy called Kyung So in North Korea. And he recounts uh, a friend of his shared the gospel about Jesus Christ with him. And Kyung So was just absolutely stunned. He said, the man had a big family and I knew very well they would all be dragged off to a labor camp or worse if I reported this conversation. I had his life in my hands. Why on earth would anybody have taken a risk like that? Labor camp, not just for him, but for his whole family. Well, he took that risk because he could see past the state power of North Korea. He could see past the propaganda TV briefings and the great statues of the Kims. He knew that the Lord God of the Bible reigns in heaven. He knew that God's power is far greater than any earthly dictator and his reign began long before the Caesars in Rome and it will carry on long after the Kims of North Korea are just a footnote of history. He knew that God's rule is effective through all the world and that history is working out his purposes, his story. And so Kyung So's friend was willing to take that risk. Kyung So himself then became converted. God reigns. We should allow that truth to shape our prayers for persecuted Christians. As you think of the, the church in Tajikistan, which only one church has been allowed to register in the last 10 years. They've basically just stopped allowing churches to register and groups of Christians wonder, what should we do? It's illegal to meet. What should we do? You think of the Gambian church, Daniel heading back there at the end of this year. Riots and massive pressure coming from the Islamic uh, factions to have an Islamic constitution in the country. And the Christians think, what is this going to mean for us if this happens? What will we do? Give up? Give in? No, God is on his throne. And so they're not. They're planning on standing firm. If you are here last Sunday and heard Daniel's prayers, they pray that they'll be ready to face whatever comes, not afraid to suffer, because they know who'll win and they know who's in control. And for us, for us, we don't risk our lives or our families, let's be honest, like Kyung So, but we do risk our reputation, our popularity, our career, our comfort. And so we need to know that the God of the Bible is Lord over all. We need to know we're not fools if we trust him, if we serve him. And you need to know, I need to know, it is the God of Revelation 4 who rules the world as you walk out of this building. It is the God of Revelation 4 who is in charge of your tomorrow and the day after that and after that and after that. It is this God, it is this God who holds human history in his hands and holds you, his precious child, and will carry you safely home. So don't be cowed by the voices of our culture. Don't fear as you look at our broken society. Don't despair as you watch the news. God is on his throne and he is almighty and he will be almighty tomorrow 
and he will be almighty the day after that and he will be almighty every day until he brings you home or the Lord Jesus returns. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for John's amazing vision of heaven. We thank you that the heart of heaven is a throne, a throne of power where you rule. And we pray that we would learn to trust you. We pray that we would not judge this world by what we can see, but that we would listen to your voice. And so we would be freed from our fears, liberated to live lives that matter in eternity, liberated to to make the most of our lives, sacrificing and serving joyfully because we know that you are in control and we know that the story ends with the victory of your son, the Lord Jesus. We ask these things for your glory in our individual lives. Amen.